Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. One of the sponsors has been with us from the beginning is our friends out in North Carolina, Highland Canine at Tactical Police Canine, letter K number nine, training.com. They are full service from top to bottom, left to right, north, south, east to west. They have everything, pointy ears, floppy ears, whatever you want, and they are a full service kennel doing seminars as well as handler schools for complete, completed dogs and as well as green dogs. So be sure to hit them up, Highland Canine at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. The Pergasons are fantastic people. Uh, Jason's been on the podcast as well, so go hook, look up his episode. Our uh, One of my favorite sponsors is Dogtra. Uh, the folks over at dogtra.com, they've been doing this for a long time, guys. Um, their e-collars, bark collars, everything they do, we love it. We have a great relationship with them. Uh, they give a discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over $200. I tell everybody I have a kennel full of Dogtra e-collars. Most importantly, I have a kennel full of Dogtra bark collars. The YS600, to me, is the best piece of equipment in all of dogs. Check them out, dogtra.com. Check them out on Instagram at dogtraofficial. We really like the guys at Ray Allen Manufacturing. They've been around for freaking ever. They were making working dog equipment before they were working dogs for uh, working bison, apparently. So, uh, and our, their product designer is one of our favorite people, Matt Matt Wilson. We love Matt. So, uh, rayallen.com. And everyone thinks, you know, it's only for police and military dogs, and that's not the case. If you have a working dog, whether it's police and military or search and rescue or even hunting. And even if you got pets, they have literally everything minus the dog and the patrol car that you would need to outfit a working team or a pet team for anything, whether it be scent work, whether it be our AKC or UKC scent work, all the way up to explosive and narcotics detection for military and police teams and everything in between. So be sure to hit them up at rayallen.com. Use the discount code working dog radio spelled out for 10% off your order. Probably, absolutely, not even probably, our first sponsor and longest sponsor is Arno over at ALM. Probably, to me anyways, one of the best guys in all of canine. Um, His website, almcanineequipment.com. You can get on there, give him a call, email him. He's the only guy you're going to talk to, uh, almcanineequipment.com. He has easily the best tugs in the business. His bite suits are amazing. They last for a long time. Ted will tell you he's got the same jacket since uh, Noah threw the ark out there. And uh, his hidden sleeve, I still say, is the best in the business. Check him out. Use a discount code WDRADIO, all spelled out, 10% off your first order. Check him out on Instagram, ALM Canine Equipment. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting to Bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, with me, as always, uh, from Canton, Ohio, is Eric Stanbro. What's up, dude? Uh, week two of Hannah class. Um, it's been interesting. So we're talking before we started recording about some stuff. It's just new new people stuff. Um, had a big training group come out today. Good dudes. They not my normal group that I train with uh, 10, 15 guys showed up. It was pretty good. Um, had some good time, showed them a couple different places to do some fun stuff and uh, bleeding money into my new training facility for the pet side. Started that build out today, basically. Um, and that's what it's, it's just a lot of money I want to throw up. 
but um, in the end, you know, it'll be pretty good. We're still keeping the fun house going and stuff like that. Uh, what about you? Uh, I'm working these dogs, these uh, three labs I have, and then I've got uh, two. I've got fucking Pepper still. Um, she's in hood for a while. She's rocking tracking. Um, I had a guy from uh, my local sheriff's office, their tactical tracking unit SWAT guy, come out today uh, and track with us and do some brush up stuff. And then I've got three dual purpose dogs being delivered uh, probably in five days or six days, whenever my transporter guy gets here. Um, so then I'll have a shitload to do. So I'll have three dual purpose dogs and or three or four, four dual purpose dogs and three singles. So uh, busy. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, not a whole lot going on. It finally fucking warmed up. It was like seven yeah. degrees here today. So that I'm happy about mm-hmm. is working outside in the fucking cold. It's not for me. So uh, it's not my thing. <clears throat> yeah. So. It it finally was nice here today. I actually could take off the hoodie and just wear a t-shirt. Got Working Dog Radio t-shirt. WorkingDogRadio.com. Go check it out. We got some good stuff. Um, yeah. So the funny thing is our last episode was huge. Like our interview with Joe Kenda. Right. Um, unfortunately for all of you guys, uh, you have to look at Ted and I and not our ladies like last episode so you know the funny thing is dude since we started doing zoom is i look at these i'll watch the episodes and i go nuts because i've had a lot of people comment to me about it is unbeknownst to a lot of people i have Tourette's, and i don't have the kind of Tourette's like you cuss i'm not going cut lip or anything like that um that's a that was a professor at akron you did that by the way that's where that came from um, but I'm a fidget. I fidget all the time. You can see it in my face and my shoulders. I've had a lot of people ask me about it. I'm like, that's why it's uh, not on crack or meth. I, uh, I have a disease. So leave me alone. And, uh, maybe we can get to, maybe we can get Brian to, to not focus in at all on me when I'm t- not talking. So anyways, uh, we got a good episode today. This is going to be pretty funny and pretty interesting to do. So our guest, nobody knows. None of you have heard of Ted and I know him, right? Some some folks around us kind of know him. But um, so we wanted to have him on. We haven't done anything breeding wise in a long time. <clears throat> and here's the thing. So our, our guest, Jake, has I've known him for a while, um, has been doing dog stuff for for a while, for a long time. Uh, and it's kind of a an interesting career path. He's been in doing uh, shoots and stuff for a long time as far as training uh, raising dogs, helping other people, competing, all that stuff in Schutzen. Also, he worked for a company that had some pretty decent size uh, police canine training contracts. So he was working for that guy doing decoy work and dog building and helping with all the stuff that a junior trainer would do for a guy that's got a big contract. And then still breeding and raising some very high quality German Shepherds. Um, I know you got one before. That, that uh, was competing in an IPO and you got him and put him with a department. Uh, you remember, what was that dog's name? Enzo. Yeah. He was Enzo, a dick, right? Uh, he, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was special. He'll um, bite you. Yeah, he, he will bite. He's bitten several people. <laughs> They're correct people. Um, he's uh, yeah, he, and he went to an experienced handler too. Um, when our guest originally kind of reached out to us and was like, Oh, we got this dog, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, like what's up with the dog. They're like, Oh, he's just, uh, you know, he's too much for this or that. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? 
So I get up there to pick him up at this dude's house, and I know me. I finally figure out what the fuck this this uh, this guy he's from Poland. Super nice dude. He's like, uh, you know, he's just too much. You know, he's not good for points. And I'm like, okay, well, why? And like he tried to explain it to me, and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I'm a good trainer. I'm a police dog trainer, though. Like I'm not a so. I get the dog and I'm like, oh, I immediately understand why this motherfucker is, is not the dog that you want to compete with. He was a super, super fucking nice patrol dog. His outs were fucking sticky. They were always sticky and they were not full point outs. I could see his tracking being a problem for IPO. He was a fantastic tracking dog. Um, he has many successful tracks, many successful finds, great detection work. Uh, he's just kind of a strong headed shithead. And he's not, he wasn't like super biddable. Uh, he was not the easiest dog in the world to train. Uh, he was not the easiest dog in the world to handle. Fantastic. Well, I mean, once you get used to him, he is. But uh, him and his handler's name is Michael um, are doing great now. But I mean, and this guy had a Malinois, a shithead before that. And um, also a nice dog. But um, so, yeah, I mean, that dog was, Enzo, Enzo was gangster for sure. Yeah, uh, we neither of us do IPO, but I assume that biting a judge or something on like that would cost that, you points. <laughs> that's a that's a disqual. I didn't even look it up. That's a disqualification right there. Right. Uh, you yeah, you bite a judge. You're in fact, I had another dog that when we bought him, he had a title. He had an IPO one title, and they were like, oh, it took us three times. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why did it take you three times to get an IPO one? And they're like, well. He tried to bite the judge on the first one, and the second one he went after the judge and tracking. And I'm like, oh, okay, I I get it now. And I got him, and same thing when I got him in, I same fucking thing. I was like, oh shit, this dog, mm -hmm. <laughs> he was not that dog. And yeah. I get it, or not to be a fantastic patrol dog, but he was not easy to handle. He was not easy. He was not easy to track with. Uh, he got he would get frustrated when he got frustrated shit would get weird and so there was a lot of drive capping that happened there was a lot of mitigation of bullshit that happened mm -hmm. that i can understand you know why focusing on that is probably not what <laughs> what ipo right. competitors at the world want to focus on super beautiful dog huge great german shepherd but good lord was he a pain in the ass to deal with so so we yeah. have night we've been talking jake, about him for like five minutes anyway so jake did all this <laughs> stuff before he was even a cop so he gets into law enforcement. We're not, we weren't going to get into where anybody works. We don't want to do anything like that. We've, we've had people get in trouble before, but now he's a dog handler at his agency, a pretty large agency. So we have police dog training before being a police officer, dog handling, Schutzen, uh, and all aspects of Schutzen in the breeding side. And we want to get into um, the programs and everybody wants to be a, not everybody wants to be, everybody wants there to be these big breeding programs in this country. And it's, it's not easy. And uh, so we're going to talk to him about it without further ado. We'll welcome uh, Jake Lawrence. Jake, how are you, buddy? Very good. Very good. Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, been listening to you guys since you basically started the podcast. So um, I, I met you uh, and Ted through Enzo, the story that you guys were just telling there, that's kind of the, the first thing that really birthed uh, I would say our friendship but obviously I was out uh, prior to being in law enforcement when you were out west I, I trained out with uh, the the crew up north and, and made a lot of contacts there and, and heard about you and and uh, the big the big thing I want to say first off thanks for having me on but also thanks for um, all the help you guys have done towards law enforcement industry you know 
these times, it's great to have knowledge and, and pushing it out on a platform like this that hasn't really been done before. Um, I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm really honored to be a part of it. Well, thanks, man. It's been a good friendship. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's been beneficial for everybody. Um, and anytime we can get with good people that are helping, you know, push things along in the right direction, it's always a good idea. So give us your background. I know I, I said a lot of it, but I'm sure I fucked some of that up and did it wrong. No, you're fine. Yeah. Um, no. Tell tell us your, I don't know if, if you can, when they're watching Zoom, I can't remember, can they see the names on there? No, so, I don't know. That's I don't know. We're question. looking at it, and the name that's <laughs> under Jake's name is not his name. It's his wife's. It's his wife's computer. He's not allowed to have a computer. So, no, just kidding. But anyways, Jake, go ahead and tell us uh, all your uh, your stuff. Yeah. So my background, um, I grew up uh, doing farming. My dad uh, bred show pigs, and I did cattle. I did 4-H. Um, I'm you know from rural part in central Ohio here, and I. Um, was immersed in, in animal culture my whole life. So I grew up doing that grew up playing sports. Um, I wasn't the best in school. Uh, I always was busy doing things elsewhere. So I knew when I was pretty young that I wanted to go the law enforcement route. And my grandmother passed away when I was pretty young, but I always heard stories of the German shepherds that her and my dad used to breed. So I go three generations back, I have like pedigree paperwork from the 1940s from my great grandmother from, from her German shepherd. So I always heard these stories. I saw old photos, old videos. And I knew I was like, man, this it, it just called to me. So growing up, like I said, traveling all over the country, doing pig shows and stuff like that with my dad, uh, this turned out to be kind of the direction that I went with, with German shepherds. So fast forward, I go to college, I get my CJ degree. Um, and I start researching dogs and I start reaching out to kennels. I say, you know, I want to get as much information as I possibly can to learn about the dogs before I decided what I wanted to do. And I actually, um, got hired to be a financial consultant before I went into law enforcement and I was studying for that. I was like, I stink and hate this. So I was like, I'd rather work 10 years on midnights than, than, than do this job. So I, uh, I ended up, my, and my dad, I was going to do the business route because that's the job my dad wanted me to do. And uh, he's like, I'll buy you a set of golf clubs for your graduation. I said, scratch that. How about you buy me a working dog from, from you know, working line German Shepherd? So I got my first female um, and I started IPO. And I didn't, I had no idea what IPO was. I just, I didn't even know civilians could do bite work on dogs. I had no clue. I didn't know what the sport was. I didn't know anything. And uh, as you guys probably know with, uh, like you're saying with the junior help and, you know, different, uh, kennels, whether a sport, because that seemed to be the biggest civilian platform that I could get a part of. Um, but a lot of, uh, police officers who are involved in the sport and also outside, uh, being a, a 21 year old willing to put a sleeve on or a suit on and could go for days, you know, that, that, that's how I got immersed into this. That's how I got the connections and, you know, started to talk to people and it was like just catching dogs for hours and, and, and have my own dog and asking questions, making phone calls. And, you know, I've spent several years doing that. I mean, that, that as you mentioned before, I mean, there's a lot of people that haven't heard of me because I kind of stayed in the shadows. I just caught dogs and, and, and worked my way up, you know, worked to this point to where, you know, I have experience under my belt now and, 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 and working with dogs. Um, so, I get, uh, I get into sport. I have my dog. Um, 
I start working with the, the contractor that you spoke about earlier on the intro. So now I'm working a lot more police dogs. And even prior to that, I had a lot of connections up north working dogs in Michigan, you know, for feds on, on some occasions, like uh, catching dogs again. And, and the decoying is really what got me into places was because I was a young guy who wanted to do it. And as I talked about earlier uh, up north, I mean, I think you're how many dogs do you have a day at training day, Eric? About 20. Okay. So there's 20. And there was a seminar that weekend. So I bet there was 50, you know, for, for, at the time that, that I went there. And we, it was me and two other guys from Indiana, and we just caught dogs all day long, kind of like what your HRD seminars are like, too. You know, when you guys come to a place, there's a lot of people that come. And then, you know, those decoys are taking a lot of bites. So that's basically how I got my start. And, and, the, and going back to the breeding thing and kind of how I got to where I was, I always loved breeding. I mean, I got cattle now. Um, you know, it was always, my dad was always, uh, picking the next, you know, stud pig that he's going to use for, for breeding or, you know, the, the, the pedigrees were always in my mind. It was always something, it was like the grind that led up to that was always fun to me. So like, as I worked all these dogs, I had a, a Rolodex in my head and all the things that I would see from these dogs behavior, whether it's like nerves on, you know, flooring or not or no nerves or how committed they were into the grips how deep their grips were on the sleeve you know how much pressure i felt from the bite um you know what was their guarding like in the, in the blind like what what made these dogs special in my head and i would have a rolodex and as you know as being a um uh getting into um as i got into uh, working more dogs i had a rol rolodex in my my mind of you know what was what with you know technology the way it is now i could go look back at their pedigrees and see who their parents were and and i started getting to a point to where um i uh found common common ancestors common dogs especially in the german shepherd breed or i saw certain vendors consistently produced a certain type of dog that i like i saw certain you know characteristics and i'm like okay th th this club has great dogs this handler always has a great dog this uh, pedigree always is, is what I like. It's consistently what I think is good enough. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up getting to the point to where I got. And my mentor with, with breeding and, and, and the person that really helped me and still helps me to this day, answers all the calls if I need to, is uh, uh, Stefan Schwab uh, with Stachmatz Kennel. And he came over from Germany um, and he had a, 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 you know, very successful breeding program over there. And I got, and, and you know, again, I, I kept working these dogs and made a, a phone contact. And a lot of things I've learned about that stuff is stuff I've taken from farming, but also taking to, you know, where I'm at now and, and everything in between. So I guess uh, for, for today's episodes with breeding, that's kind of how I ended up in, in, the, in that position with, with where I'm at. So. Well, it's a good point. And um, Ted and I, uh, we, one of the things that we get a lot of people, we're going to back up to something you said that's super important. Ted and I, I probably on a weekly basis, maybe even more because Ted was a civilian. He gets probably more than me. How do I get into working with these, with the police dogs? How do I get in? How do I get in? Um, and decoying seems to always be that way. Would you agree, Ted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, like Jake just said, there is something to be said for, um, being able to be in the suit and do it and do it well um and 
you know, a lot of, and when I was younger, I didn't know I was doing it good or bad or whatever. I just got really lucky in that the person that was teaching me was not teaching me bad habits. So in that respect, I'm super grateful. Um, but as far as um, the way to get in, and that's why when we do the HRD seminars, the one thing I say, we bring in decoys from, you know, I try and bring in decoys from neighboring is closed, right? And I say, you know, these guys that are here, when we leave, they're going to be here still. And they're going to be able to help you. And there's a couple of HRDs that I remember distinctly where the decoy work was extremely good. And in three days, officers are like, holy shit, this dog is, my dog's never acted this way. He's never been this good. And I'm like, this is, has nothing to do with me. Like, I'm just you running around yelling at people. Like, I, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the dude, like those dudes down the hallway. Like, that's why it's not me. Like, I mean, I can, I mean, you can do a scenario and do well and not or not do well. I mean, I, of course it matters to me, but it isn't, I mean, it's not going to matter like to the dog. And so, you know, and, I, and we make a huge point about it, even in, in the HRD decoy seminars, you know, we say, Hey, you know, this is, this is what makes or breaks a patrol dog or makes or breaks a patrol team um, in maintenance training is, is this, and it's extremely undervalued skill. Um, and I tell guys all the time, I say, you know, we get deco I get handlers from wherever, I say, go find a Mondio ring or a PSA club or a French ring club if you're on one of the coasts or something. I said, because those dudes will work dogs for fucking ever. The other Jake in your state, um, miss the guy that we've had on the podcast, um, is Jake's a got perfect example. Uh, <laughs> he's a civilian. Uh, he was in the IDF, but I mean, he's looks like a fucking gangbanger, uh, but he's a f fantastic fucking decoy <laughs> and he has no problem working 400 fucking dogs in a row. And that's how you do it. That's how I did it. I mean, working for free, going, you know, and people, you know, then it just gets spread and spread. But we get that. I get that question. I got the question today. Somebody emailed me and I'm like, you just got to do it. And, and then on the other hand, I'm kind of a hypocrite because people contact me. And they're like, oh, I want to come decoy. I'm like, I bet you do. <laughs> they do and they get bit once they're like fuck this this hurts i'm like i what do you think was going to happen so yeah so you mentioned um the rolodex you know so what does that rolodex look like of either dogs and or characteristics yeah that's that's a good point um the the rolodex for me like i said i would i would see a dog that came fast like I'm talking on a long bite, like you, that you'd see on a sport field, right? With, you know, a dog that kept its ears pinned back the whole way through. It was launching from, you know, 10 feet back, uh, going to the police dogs, like, uh, same type of thing, same characteristics. I mean, Eric just posted that video of his Dutchie that he had the characteristics like that type of dog, uh, were the breeding animals. The one that was like the top 1%, or even if it's the bottom and I heard somebody talk their dog up a, a ton. If I go back and I read, where, uh, from a breeding standpoint, if I go back and I read and I see, okay, consistently this, this dog is coming from this grandfather, or this mother line, or this, you know, stud dog out there, like I can see, okay, it makes sense. I've worked three dogs now and all three are, are bangers, you know? So to me, I'm like, I, I give kudos to that dog. You know, now if I see a dog and same thing happens, I hear all this great stuff about the stud dog and I work with three dogs and they're they're putts then you know it, it's it's a minus like I, that dog is out for me you know i'm not looking at it for my program um and i'm not saying it's a bad dog it's just not good enough for me you know for, for for what i want for my breeding program that is so 
uh, same thing with characteristics. It's just that wow factor for me, it, for me to really like it is that dog that makes you go, you know, when, when you go to a training, you know, you go to a training day for, for, uh, an agency and every agency, it doesn't matter if, if, you know, the training groups, you know, great, whatever. There's always like one dog that everyone like stops and watches. Like those are the type of dogs that I like, you know, those are the ones that I'm talking about that Rolodex and, you know, and especially in sport and with breeding, um, that, that, that you have papers usually to, to back it up. So, and that can bring me to the next point. I, I, I figured at some point, you know, you guys would ask me, what's the difference between a police dog and like a breeding type of dog. And I'll, I'll just get straight to the point because I get a lot of people being a breeder and, and being a civilian that got into the police stuff. There's a lot of police guys that like all oh, pedigrees, papers don't mean anything. You're right. Like you're absolutely right. I'll take a floppy eared now, like 10 out of seven days of the week. If he does the job for what I need to do and I'm going to go home and he can pass every test that like matters to me, but it does matter for breeding. Like you need to know what's behind the dog because he could be an absolute, you know, freak for where he comes from. And if you have no way to know if that's if that's normal for that line or if he's just like the the um, the outlier, you don't want to breed back because those recessive traits are going to come through. So it's it's not important for police. If the dog is a great dog, that's all that matters for police. But for breeding, it's got to match where he comes from, meaning. If you look at a dog's work, you see the dad works the same as the son and the son works the same as the daddy and he matches your criteria of what you think is a freak dog. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've run into that and a lot of times, and I'm going to say this and I know people are going to fucking shit themselves, but being a police dog is not the pinnacle of breed worthy standards and i've seen some ugly motherfuckers that work really well and i've seen some dogs that are super healthy and but they have other traits that i just i'm like uh. and um we imported a dog that was um his brn was one of those that was super impressive and immediately when i saw it i was like why are they selling this dog what the fuck's wrong with him a uh, huge malinois over 100 well well over 100 pounds athletic uh, it's one of those dogs that Subtle talks about, like in episode three, he's talking about like, he's a, like a, he's a, he is a, um, he's a, he's got Duco 2 on him and it's really, really close to that because when the dog was bred, they used frozen semen, whatever. So we get this dog and I'm like, why are they selling him? Come to find out, we bred him to a known female twice and the puppies were fucking garbage. Uh, they were super healthy, super big. <clears throat> and he did not reproduce himself well at even all. And on top of that, both litters were all female except for one dog, which was not That's weird, something. Yeah. yeah, that was terrible. And so I was like, oh, I immediately, and I was like, I know why they sold this. And he's a fantastic patrol dog, magnificent patrol dog, right? Like he got a bite a couple months ago and just found shitloads of dope, finds people all the time, tracked down three kids with shotguns. I mean, he is a gangster, right? Run by a great handler not a good breeding dog and we bred him to a female that has produced 22 single and dual purpose or 23 single and dual purpose dogs so it's not like we didn't know and she comes from great lines and he was just a fucking dud and you know there's those dogs are out there uh subtle mentioned one specifically when he was on um ivo the dog that he bought great dog same thing he just didn't re reproduce himself well he was like ah, he was my his favorite dog he's ever had in his house whatever else he was like but he just does not like what came out of the female was not that 
And, you know, it, it is what it is. And that's the thing. Like, I see it all the time. People are like, oh, I've got a great police dog. Let's breed him. I'm like, uh, where'd he come from? They're like, Holland or what's, pick a country, throw the dark yeah. map. And I'm like, no, that's not what I mean. Like, what, what, what do you know about him? Oh, he's a great police dog. I can see that. But I mean, what, like, why should we? <laughs> and they just kind of look at me. I'm like, uh, okay, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and it's the same thing. So, I mean, it kind of leads into the next part of the conversation. Um, you know, say we know, and we have good genetics and we have, we know we have good producers. Um, you know, let's move into the puppy phase. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into raising a working dog. Um, one thing that just kills me unless it's a repeat breeding. So if it's a repeat, repeat breeding, what I'm about to say doesn't apply, but for the most part, they're not. People are saying, Oh, based on this dog's working and this dog's working, you know, the male and the female, we expect these dogs to be insert a bunch of adjectives that are really vague and not very descriptive. And, um, you know, before we get into this too deep though, um, we're going to take a break and then we'll be back and then we'll pick up where we left off. So sorry to interrupt the great conversation we are having, but we have amazing sponsors that we need to bring to you. Um, one of our favorites, one of our oldest is Southern Coast Canine. The folks down there, the Heisers, they are great folks down there in Smyrna, New Smyrna, Florida, right? They got everything you need to do down there, guys. Um, full service kennel, southerncoastcanine.com. Give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. The uh, Southern Coast Canine folks have killer dogs guys everyone we've seen have been badass check them out on instagram at southern coast canine everybody knows that training is super important one of the best training conferences in the country is hits it's by canine handlers for canine handlers hits canine letter k number nine dot net the largest vendor show in the country the largest giveaway for handlers in the country and some of the most skilled instructors in the country plus eric and i we're going to be there july 6th through the 9th in scottsdale arizona bringing the hrd roadshow to everyone there doing the presentation about scenario-based training and then they've got everybody there from the industry to do fantastic presentations also uh, classifies and, and sort of uh, for your training hours when you come back to your department. So it's going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona, July 6th through the 9th. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113 uh, or hits K9, letter K number nine dot net. The other big thing that guys mess around with and don't get right is nutrition for their dogs. Our good friends down at Connect Dog Food, they got it right. Uh, especially if you own a kennel, uh, like there's all kinds of problems that go along with owning a kennel with a lot of dogs, kennel stress and things. These guys are great. They service some of the largest kennels in the country. Kineticdogfood.com. Their stuff is so good. Give them a call. 513-615-6904. Kinetic Dog Food on Instagram. Wonderful people. Wonderful food. Check them out. Kineticdogfood.com. Next up, we have a sponsor that's moved for quite a while, Quick Derm by Vet Care. This stuff is magic. For whatever reason, working dogs have this uncanny ability to hurt themselves in fantastic and magical ways. Don't let small problems be big ones. Happy tail, torn up paws. Uh, one of our good buddies and also one of our interviews, uh, Jake Hutchinson, had a, uh, his dog got kicked in the face by a horse. The stitches were healed up very quickly with vet care. I use it on my tattoos. Uh, Alicia just got a new one and she's using it as well. It stuff is magic. So hit them up at vetcare.us. Use the discount code 10WDR for 10% off your first order. 
awesome stuff. Our brand new sponsor, guys, and he's a good dude, man. He really is a good dude, good trainer. He's been on the podcast, friend of ours. He's worked with us at HRD, great decoy. Jim O'Brien down at NCK9 in North Carolina, obviously. NC stands for North Carolina. NCK9, letter K number nine. Uh, great stuff, guys. Their police dogs are good. Floppy ear, pointy ear, dual purpose, single purpose, handler schools, better weather than we have in Ohio. Give them a call, 919-438-0141. Check out his website, nck9.us. Uh, hit them up on Instagram, at nck9llc. For them, guys, training is not a job. It is their life. All right, so we're back. And right before we took off for the break, we were talking about, you know, putting two dogs together that are seemingly good workers and then getting puppies out of them. And then we kind of were, I was kind of addressing the fact that you see it and they're like, oh, we expect these dogs to be this and that and all this other shit. And they don't always turn out that way. Um, I've seen people claim they have a puppy, 10 litter puppy, and they're like, all 10 will be great. I'm like, God dang, really? Because we've been doing it for quite a while and my percentage is like 50 to 60 or so of good dogs and the rest of them i'm like man eh, now you need to go like chase tennis balls and stuff and go do like go hike lick with, your own butt yeah or whatever i mean the working ones do that too though but yeah. so what's what has your experience been jake with um like kind of the percentages of that way and then what to i guess realistically expect um from working litters with known with an well with not a repeat breeding because repeat breedings are a different deal like if you do multiple repeat breedings then you kind of have you know some baseline but non-repeat breedings with what to expect and what to look for right <clears throat> well all great questions i'll circle back and even before the the puppy part the the most important thing with breeding is having a strong maternal line a, a, a top level female and most people don't have that that's the number one problem most people don't have because everyone's worried about the males and usually they just pick a uterus that they, that they throw to it. Yeah. Maybe it has a good stud dog behind it, but the work itself is not great. So that's the number one thing. So you need a great female and then you need to breed to a great male. These are the top one percenters, like the top level dogs that I go back my Rolodex, the ones that you, that we're talking about. And then also the, the pedigrees. And even when you do that, you still are most likely going to get a watered down version of those parents. Now it'll be a combination of the parents or maybe similar to a specific parent, but it's probably going to be a watered down version of that. So um, same thing with, with uh, that's why if you don't start out with 100% of a dog and what I'm talking about those top one percenters or that Rolodex part of, of your brain of those dogs that are special, if you start with 60% of a dog that you think is great you're going to have 40% when you breed. So when you have these two great dogs and you get 80% for the majority of the litter, you know, those dogs are still good enough to work, but they're, they're not a breed worthy animal or whatever. And you're lucky if you get 80% of those parents. So if you're starting out with a watered down product in the first place, then you're really going to have problems. So even with the dogs that I think are great, anyone who tells you that they're having hundred percent success is absolutely lying. Um, I've never sat down and, and did the exact numbers for, you know, dogs, uh, that I, that I say, cause there's a lot of things that, you know, outside influences, you know, the environment outside of the genetics. I think, I think the proper definition, and I could be wrong, but I think it's called phenotype, how the environment affects their genetic 
you know, upbringing and, and how they um, process after that point. Uh, and not only that, but also joint health, you know, injuries, um, things like that. There, there's, there's a lot that goes into those dogs getting to that point. Um, but the, the success rate, I've been, I've been successful. You know, I've had dogs that now are, are, are on their uprise and actually Bogdan, the, the gentleman who had Enzo before he, when Enzo left, he took uh, a puppy out of my sea litter. And the dog's won uh, every trial he's been to up to this point, and, and he's showing at his big national first national tri trial uh, coming up this spring. So hopefully, you know, he, he shows the way he should. But you know, genetically, that dog I think is special. You know, he's one of the one of the better dogs in the country right now, in in, in my opinion. But um, young and upcoming dog. So, and as for the police side. Um, I've had, I've had vendors that have bought dogs for me as puppies and have done nothing with them and they still end up going into police homes. And I've had people that have done a lot of the right things that, and I, but for me, I wouldn't select a dog for myself. So it, it really is a crapshoot when people say it, but you stack your, your odds in your favor. You stack the deck in your favor when you do what I was telling you before of having a great female and, and breeding to a great, great male. So, um, it, you just, you just stack your i mean if you if you go to uh a uh, uh, gambling table and i tell you you know i'll, I'll give you 75 percent success rate if you do it this way versus 30 percent success rate if you do it this way but you know th that can lead you to the next point is what's the true motivation for the people that are making the breedings yeah we we had one breeding that um it was a known male and a known female so it was a repeat breeding on both dogs but not together my intention was to create a bunch of single purpose pointing ear dogs right because we had a lot of interest in them whatever else and i it was going to be a good project i'll be damned if six out of those 12 didn't turn out to be dual purpose shitheads and just gnarly 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 patrol dogs and neither one of the sire or the dam is that way. Like they're, I mean, they'll do bite work, but they weren't, I mean, they're a shit ton of drive environmentally sound, perfect single purpose dog drive. They don't give a shit about anything other than going to find a damn ball or going to find odor once you teach them. Right. Which is all I knew before. And I thought, Oh, this would be great. You know, they're great. Even temper, you know, the puppies will be even tempered, whatever else. No, <laughs> they were fucking not. And <laughs> they were a lot like each other's, grandparents uh, right. which um the, the mother's grandparent was a bitch and her mother was a fucking bitch too and is still a bitch and then same thing on the other side of the male god bless his his and but you know both of those dogs were single purpose you know super super good and the female had produced a lot of dogs and she's a great worker you know she'll do bite work but it's not like you know patrol stuff but so I thought, oh, this would be great. No. Well, it was great, but it was not what I anticipated. <laughs> they came out like on fucking fire. I was like, ah. And I realized like fairly early, you know, about 12 weeks old, I was like, oh, shit. We, yeah, we got, <laughs> there's a little, we, this is a little, bit, a little bit different than what we bargained for. And then on top of the other six, you know, were kind of just like whatever, you know, they were, in fact, one of my friend here in Tulsa is an attorney and she has one of the puppies. Uh, well she's not puppy anymore but she just kind of runs around and you know i saw her last week she's a fucking house dog runs around and she looks like a police dog but she's you know won't bark and she doesn't bite doesn't do anything so but her brother is on a department locally as a swat on a swat department and bites motherfuckers on fire and i mean he is just insane but they came out of the same litter and i it is i never anticipated that so 
it's always interesting. People are like, oh, I can guarantee it. I'm like, man, you got the hotline to God or something because I, I'm, I'm not good at this. And you must, I don't. So sometimes I get lucky and sometimes I don't, but God bless. I have people that tell me they're like, oh, well, this and this and this, and I can guarantee it. I'm like, uh, what if, what if it didn't happen though? Like people want to sell me a puppy and they say, I guarantee it. I'm like, okay, well, what if he gets to be like six months old and he sucks? They're like, oh, well, obviously you did something wrong. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I see it. So those of us who I like, I don't do it. I have done no breedings whatsoever. I bought a lab from a guy to train and turns out he sold me a pregnant dog. So that's the only, my only experiences and not one of the 11 puppies ended up working. So anyways, and Jesse is the runt is ours. But anyway, yeah. She she earned away in your heart. Oh yeah. Uh, My daughter told me to keep her. So I had no choice, but um so circling back to the so the the situation that Ted's talking about, where you have a female who's produced good dogs, and you have an, a male with good uh, genetics, but every puppy out of two litters sucked. Like every was, can you predict that? I mean, is that is that is that a is that just a a, a thing? How, could if you went back through, because your your Rolodex is some of your bookkeeping stuff, like your, you know. By the way, when you said you're you were going into bookkeeping, if you looked, Ted's face was like, "Yeah, I was in economics." Fuck that. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got hired and I was studying. I didn't even make it. I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. I was like, man, this ain't this ain't for me. So, is, so if you went back through knowing being somebody that's really hardcore into breeding, could you have predicted that, or is that just? I, it's so weird, man. That's the problem with all. Well, I, yeah, you're you're right. So I I haven't had that, thank God, because I I mean I I'm, you know, it's it's a long term game. The breeding is not an instant payoff, you know. And you're gonna hang on to puppies that turn out to be puds, or you're gonna have dogs that don't turn out to be what you think they're gonna be. Um, so there's always an inherent risk with that. But I've yet to have a, a litter where all of them are terrible. So uh, I'm not saying it's not out there. It's not possible. And there's definitely dogs that don't produce themselves. But again, you go back to stacking the deck in your favor. And a lot of the times, like the females are a little bit more unknown than the males that I've used in my breeding program for the most part. Um, Meaning like going back to that Rolodex, like the males are proven through, you know, other progeny or, or, you know, sons and daughters that are on different stages, you know, and I have these females that I take to um, to these males. And then once, you know, there's been a, a couple males that I've made their first breeding on, but again, like their dad was a producer, their dad's dad was a producer. Their mom has produced some of the best dogs I've ever worked. Their grandma produced that daughter who's producing. So, I mean, I've worked a lot of the dogs in my pedigrees I've worked or I've seen the grandparents of the dogs. So I'm talking three, four generations of dogs that I've seen myself. And, and I guess, well, sir, we'll say like, for me, I like things real simple. If I can make something as simple as I possibly can, and breeding is a complex, hard thing to do. And when you do this enough and you've been around a lot, it, it kind of comes second nature. But at the end of the day, for a great police dog, the two things that like, if you really want to strip it down for a dual purpose dog, like an apprehension type dog, in my opinion, I think you need extreme prey and, and like impeccable nerve, meaning like environmentally, things like that like temperament, floppy ears, breed, none of that stuff matters to me, right? So, but, but when it comes to breeding, it's really not that that far off either. I, I want extreme 
behaviors with great nerve. And, and it's a recipe for success on top of the pedigrees and what I see from, from dogs that I like. But those are the things, I mean, I, I'd be interested to see what you guys think on, on, on police dogs. Cause the temperament, every single dog is so different. You know, they're all some like people, some don't, you know? I mean, so genetically I'm kind of gotten to the point where when we look at dogs, cause the Europeans, test and it's not their fault and it's our fault um they prepare dogs for how the americans or whoever the british or the australian or well, the australians don't but because they can't get dogs in there they got to sit in quarantine for seven years um but <clears throat> you know these foreign countries that buy dogs from they they prepare them for these tests right and that's the thing like we haven't even talked about that really like how do you test a patrol dog we've done episodes on that before multiple times and everybody's got this fucking secret sauce and everybody thinks that they've got you know the harry potter magic hat to pick finding a fucking patrol dog and everybody's super secret about it um every time i'm around that environment or i'm doing it myself the one thing that i'm constantly preoccupied with is nerve strength um prey like is what it is and and I, and when you and I, and I think Eric also, like when we talk about like extreme prey, I think we're talking about like a, a, a continuum. It, it's not, um, ext it's extreme for all dogs. Um, I personally prefer a dog that has a lot of prey, but not, I have one right now at the kennel that what I would consider that is, he has too much. Um, right. and, and his, he is going to be, um, for his entire life, even after he retires, um, drive capping and management is going to be an issue for him right. and you know the handler that eventually gets him is going to have to understand that a lot of how he handles and manages that dog and in deployment situations is going to revolve around it's a handicap um you know he can't he couldn't do like swat shit he couldn't do there's a lot of things that this dog couldn't do because of that um so prey kind of like is what it is where I'm constantly preoccupied is nerve strength and environmental nerve strength. And I have rarely found a dog that has an environmental problem, no matter how small it is, that also doesn't have a pressure problem from a decoy. Um, and you end up finding it out down the line. So like, you'll see something wonky, like they are scared of a fan or a fucking vacuum, something stupid. Right. And then, so my immediate, fork in the road is is it an exposure problem or is it genetic so i'm like all right we'll give him a fucking ball and do it again do it again and do it again and do it again until it isn't doesn't become a problem if you do it two or three times and they recover very quickly then it's like okay well it's an exposure problem so now we know this dog and then it has to do with like age appropriate right so if you got a fucking 10 month old dog you're testing and all of a sudden he has never seen a giant box fan before and he's like oh what is that and you're like okay that's not a bad thing just let him play in front of it or eat in front of it, do something and then all of a sudden he never has a problem with fans again Versus the dog that no matter how much you fuck with it, they will always have a problem with it. And that is genetic. Um, and that, that is not overcomable. Um, and like, you, well, you can work around it. Like Eric can tell the story that he's told several times about a dog that he had in his training group um, that didn't like getting off his feet. And the handler just knew, right? Like, I'm not going to send him to anything where he has to get off his feet. And they worked it and worked it and worked it and worked it for years and the dog still wouldn't ever get off his feet. So it's like, all right, well, if I have to send the dog somewhere, I mean, he just won't do it. But he was successful. He was a successful patrol dog, and he bit the shit out of people. I mean, that Eric will tell you he bit, I don't know, like 100 people or something. So he was a great patrol dog. But um, there are workarounds for it. But um, the one, um, like, 
kind of dire thing for me um, is sound. Um, if a dog like full on tweaks on sound, they, especially if there's no visual to go with it, like it's just a fucking loud ass noise, they're done. Um, if they, if they don't recover very quickly, they're done for me. Um, and it's kind of one of those things, every single dog for years that I've ever seen that is like that. Anytime you apply heat and like mild heat, whether it's environmental or decoy or both, like if you send them into a bathroom stall in the dark and the decoy goes after him hardcore and fucking breaking toilets and all kinds of crazy shit, then it gets weird. Um, and you can almost trace that back to not a, it's a weak nerve problem. It's like, because if you replicate that out in the sunshine and the grass, the dogs are usually fine. So um, for me, nerve strength tells me more about what drive the dog is in when they're working and how I can predict what will happen when we turn the screws down really tight when they get older. Um, if it's a really young dog and they're not really scared of anything or it's an exposure issue, I'm like, all right, if I expose them to everything and then, you know, raise that threshold super high, then they won't ever have a problem. It's not that big of a deal. Um, what I don't like to see is a dog that is prepared that's, you know, 16, 18 months old and has limited exposure, but has blinding prey and the person trying to sell it to me is playing it off like, oh, he has enough prey to get through anything. I'm like, uh, until <laughs> that bothers me. So Eric, what about you? I'm the same way. It's on, it's, um, my first test when I get dogs in are environmental and that's yep. what we're going to fail them for. Um, sometimes I'll get a dog that'll go from dual prospect to single prospect when he's just not really about that life. So, um, circling back though, real quick, back to the, to the female, to the, the, uh, mother of the litter, so to speak. So when we had subtle on, he said his biggest thing with the dog, with the female is it has to be social. That was his big thing. Um, he said that um, he has people coming in out of his whelping rooms, and if the mother is not social or is fearful towards humans, that the puppies oh, yeah. will pick up on that, and that's how they end up being. Um, granted, doing mostly Malamals and and Dutchies, and I know you're mostly in Shepherds. Do you are do you agree with that? Do you feel the same way as far as that goes? Uh, no, not, not really. I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me so much. No one's really going in the welting rooms. And I mean, my females, some of my females are, they'd be co completely okay. And then there's other, other females that I have. If you went and walked in the room, like you would be wearing them. Absolutely killers. You know what I mean? So, and, and again, this goes back to like the temperament stuff and, you know, there's a lot of people that put their eggs into a whole bunch of different baskets and every dog's different. Even going back to what uh, Ted said earlier, you had two parents that were, you know, real easygoing, single purpose type, but then they, they produce some hammers. You know, I've had females that are hammers and I breed to, to males that are inc incredibly like not social dogs, like not friendly animals, you know, but you know, the drive is just wicked. It's out of control. And then their puppies come out and again, because their, their nerve, so to speak, is super strong, the, the puppy's temperament's not necessarily like that. And then on the, on, the, on the other side, the very next litter I make with that female, I breed with a real open social male. And then some, like most of the puppies are like 
they're one people dogs. Like they don't like strangers. They're just not into, into other people other than their people. So I, I don't get too hung up in, in that part, um, uh, with, with the females, but you know, I, I, a great dog is a great dog. There's so many different types of great dogs and there's so many different types of, you know, characteristics and traits and things. And people really like to hang their hats on and say what this dog has and that has. But again, I like to strip it down to being pretty simple. Like I don't have a problem with a, a female that, that go, like guards or puppies, you know, even, even with me, like if, if one of them says, Hey, stay away, like fine. You know, that, that, I mean, these dogs are wild animals. Like they're, 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 they're predators, right? I mean, a lot of those people breed uh, the wildness out of the dogs. Like if my dog goes after cats and I'm not talking like in a nervy hackly way, like, <laughs> like if my dog goes and, and chases and kills a chicken, like, I mean, this is a freaking predator, you know, like if, 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 if my females got real hunt drive and I'm outside, I need a manager, you know, like, she's killing like kill kills a chicken like i'm not going to get upset about that because that's what she does she's a, a predator a natural predator and if you breed that out of dogs like then then i mean how would they provide for their puppies yeah that's a or good protect question. their puppies in that case mm -hmm. and I'm, there's this fine line and going back to that nerve stuff that we're talking about where is it coming from you know is it coming from a fight or flight you know i'm scared or does it come from a dominance place? Like, Hey, don't mess with my puppies. Like, and there's a difference between that. And none of my females are going to, are going to be weird from, from a, a weakness standpoint, you know, it, it, it come from a, Hey, this is my area. I don't know who you are. Stay away from me. So I got one more question and then we're going to uh, take a break. Um, so like Ted was saying, when we're, we're getting a dog, say we got a green dog and we're starting to work them in towards the police stuff, right? We're going, we can tell at a certain point if the wheels start falling off or there's just going to be something, something there, usually some sort of environmental or because we're, we're exposing them to a lot of weird shit. But if I'm a guy that my whole thing is just doing IPO, right? Most everything I'm going to do is on a, on the field or, or something similar like that. Where do you see, what's the first thing that you start ramping up that starts happening where you're like, Oh yeah, he's not, he's, this is a problem problem for me breeding or problem no like no when you're you got the you got the dog and you're gonna work him for ipo like i said it's a new dog and you're starting to, to work it up where do you see the first like thing where you're like okay i gotta pay attention because right here is where they usually i'm gonna know okay yeah so for me again going back like breeding is my number one thing i'm not one of these people who wants to make a world team and, and, and be on the podium. I don't, I don't do, that's not my motivating factor. I, I do everything pretty much for breeding and also to make me a better canine handler and to be able to help other, you know, cops or other people as a decoy, things like that. Um, but for me, uh, I, I, I go all the way, all, it always goes back to breeding, but for, for sport people, and I, I can answer it for most people that I know who are real into the sport, it's the stuff that's going to make you start losing points. So as soon as your dog is a half gripping dog, you know, uh, there's a reason why German shepherds, like they, they gear the sport and they judge it for their success. So like a grip behavior between a Mal and a shepherd is, is different. A lot of times, like in the way, you know, we teach and police is for them to punch in and push more. And, and even if they kind of do, I don't want to use the term re grip, but if they punch in, you're losing points on that and, 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 and sport sometimes. So 
there are certain traits that you look for. Um, for me, just overall drive. If I'm going to go out on the field, I'm it, usually the dogs. Uh, I I'm I believe it's breed quality. You know, I think it's it's got enough in the tank for me. And you know, I I know long before I get to that point, and and you can see it when they're young, and you expect them to be up to that point. But really, when you start like like uh, uh, the analogy Ted used was like you start cranking down the the, the screws and tighten them up, and you know how they hold up to you know, days upon days of training, different decoys, different fields, different environments, different weather, different things, you know, that's how I know. And, and, and the, the fortunate part about breeding and also sport, you got three years before you're, you know, going to be, that'd be nice. <laughs> like you don't have 10 weeks or, or two. Yeah. <laughs> you, got ten, you got three years to make a decision on whether you think a dog's breed worthy, or if you want to take it out on the field, or if it's something you're proud of or not proud of. So, you know, you got time, you know, so it, it, there's a whole litany of things that could, you know. Yeah. You said something interesting too. And I've heard this from other, uh, uh, sport folks is, and a lot of guys that are in police work would not think that going from one outside field that you train at all the time to a different field, an outside field, actually, um, if you never did that and the first time you did it was at a, you know, at a competition that could really screw you up. Yes, absolutely. I listen, I'm not going to out any big sport names cause that's not the reason why I'm here. I'm here to, you know, help, but there's dogs that get bred multiple times that walk into stadiums at big fields. They walk past, you know, greats, uh, that, that spook them and, and, and get them scared. You know, there's flags with flagpole whipping up on the thing. And I see like the dog's eyes, like look up at it. I'm like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. and then it goes out on the field because it's seen a soccer field over and over again. It's pattern training. The dog is used to that pattern and they feel like a lion when they're, they're out on that field, but you know, they're, they melt like butter when they're in a different environment, you know? So I, and, and, and I think one of your original questions or, and what we had spoke to about before I breed this, I breed for me, I breed for what I like, I breed for what I believe in. And it just so happens that I compete in the sport and a lot of the dogs come from the sport and they go into the sport and they have success, but they also are bred for real life, you know, things like going back to that, that nerve that you're talking about. There's no such thing as the dog will have enough prey to get them through. What happens when it's, the middle of the night and there's no stem, there's no prey in the room and you got to send them in there and they got to search for 20 minutes while you're clearing the rooms. Like if that dog doesn't have it, or he doesn't have like, you know, uh, I heard a quote a, a while ago. I can't even remember who said it, but when that dog calls back on his ancestors and his genetics and calls back for help in those dark moments when he's scared, is his grandpa going to respond and say, you got this son. You know what I mean? Cause hmm. that's what it comes down to. It's like, what is that dog's heart? What is his character? Does he have the ability to, to do the things that's going to get you home? And, and those are rare, extreme situations, but it happens. I mean, these, these are things that happen. And that's what I breed for. Do, do all my dogs end up that way? No, but I mean, there's a, a good majority that do. And, 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 that, and that's what I strive for. So one of the things that Eric and I stress at HRDs, and we've said it before on the podcast, I think we should have, we haven't, if not, I'll say it now. Um, One of the things that we constantly harp on is variety, right? And um, so like when anytime my guys have something that happens, uh, one of my guys had a bite right before Christmas and the dog had to bite somebody in the attic and homie fell through the fucking sheetrock with the dog attached to him and 
dog didn't come down and the only thing holding him up was his foot and then the dog had a hold of his arm and then the handler hit him with the e-collar and dropped him dude swan dove into the fucking tore all sheetrock out of the ceiling and it was a shit show <clears throat> dog did great um and so anyway but every time our guys do that i'm like did tell, tell me what happened and they tell me i'm like did you know what was gonna happen and they say oh yeah 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 i knew it was gonna happen i'm like why I'm like oh because we've done x y and z in training or one time we did this or one time we did that whatever else i have guys and eric can tell you the same thing that are on some marshall task forces and they're and you know the marshals are kind of turn to look at them and be like is he going to be all right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, get out of the way. And <laughs> they know, right? So it's because we've done that. And um, I constantly, even dogs that are, you know, seven, eight, nine years old that have been on the street, you know, six, seven, eight years or however long. And it, there's always something like, I was like, I bet I can find something this dog hasn't seen before. And normally when they get to that age and they're successful and they've been handled and raised correctly, there's not much that's going to stop them. But right you know, there's always going to be that hole and I constantly, and it's constantly environmentals. And so that's why I'm always asking if any of my handlers say, well, I wasn't really sure it was going to happen. I have fucked up somewhere, especially if it's a guy that's experienced and has been with me for quite a while or been with us for quite a while and has been handling or, you know, kind of training under us. I'm like, yeah, I screwed that up. I'm sorry. And that becomes, and ironically, and Eric will tell you the same thing, a lot of the scenarios that we run and at HRD and a lot of scenarios at Torchlight and I'm sure at Van S are built around that. Like I vowed to never let some shit happen again. And because of that dogs see stuff from day one and I stuff puppies, I raise, which we'll talk about after the break, see shit that patrol dogs don't see as puppy. Now granted it's scaled, but then by the time they get to be a patrol dog, they're like, Oh, well, whatever, you know, and then we don't have any problems. Like you imagine raising, can you, if you're a canine handle listening to this, can you imagine me as a vendor handing you a dog and the dog not being scared of gunfire or not trying to fucking murder you when you just mm. fucking pull your firearm out and you don't even fire you just fucking pull it out and he doesn't try and murder you and there's dudes listening to this right now being like oh shit that'd be so fucking nice i'm like well i mean <laughs> it can be done i promise i've mm -hmm. done it <laughs> so so we're going to go ahead and take a break. We come back. We're going to talk about, um, the, in my opinion, the reason why police breeding programs in this country fail. So we'll be right back. Working Dog Radio, we love our sponsors. This episode is sponsored in part by Ray Allen at rayallen.com. Everything for dogs. Check out their 10% uh, discount code using Working Dog Radio, all caps. rayallen.com for everything dogs. Be sure to check out Dogtra also. Eric and I love Dogtra. It's what we both use at the kennel each day. I like the 1900S. Be sure to check them out at dogtra.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. Are you going to the Hits Canine this year, guys? The biggest and best conference in the United States, July 6th through the 9th, Scottsdale, Arizona, hitscanine.net. Give uh, Jeff Baird a call, 863-529-5113. Making sure you have the right dog food is a super important part of running a working dog, whether it be police dogs, military dogs, or hunting dogs, or search and rescue. We like Kinetic Dog Food. The guys at Kinetic can be found at kineticdogfood.com. Area code 513-615-6904. Hit them up. We got a brand new sponsor, our good buddy, Jim O'Brien, down at NCK9 in North Carolina. Full service kennel, police dogs, single purpose, dual purpose, handler schools, trainer schools. Check them out, nck9.us. 
All right, we're back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting a bite. Ted and I here with our buddy Jake Lawrence talking some cool stuff about puppies and, and breeding and everything. So when we talk to people, either on here or just in our personal lives or whatever, uh, why don't we have a breeding program here? Why don't we have a breeding program here? We could you know, get all the bloodlines here and then do our own program. Our, our good buddy David um, looked into it. He was going to – that was a thing he was going to try to do um, – but it's it's super not cost effective, right? And the reason yeah. being, this is and this is my opinion from it, is that police departments and police vendors like myself and Ted are not buying puppies. There mm-hmm. are some departments that buy puppies. It's not zero. Um, I think it's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's a it's an absolute waste of time to, for a police department to buy a puppy and then hold on to that damn thing for a year. And then see to see what happens. So they build their own cars too. Right. It's yeah, it's not a, <laughs> it, it's not a good idea. But guys like me, <laughs> I'm not buying puppies. Ted um uh is not buying puppies as a as a practice. No. Um so you though end up having to you raise puppies. Um, I'm sure you sell some, you raise some towards the sport, some that you figure out. You know, you you'll you'll check with me or say, hey, I got a dog. I think would be a pretty good, um, you know, uh, police prospect at some point. The problem with me is, for me, don't don't bring anything that's younger than ten months. I I just don't have time. My kennel, I have eight kennels. Uh, two months, dogs are out of my kennel. Three months at the most. Um, and so so talk about that. Like when you're doing the raising. How does that look? What's mistakes that people are making and what have you learned from guys that are doing it right? Um, I can't comment so much on, you know, agencies that are doing breedings or even other cops because I really don't know that many that are doing that. Um, I will say I know a lot of sport people that do it and and I can tell you the, the downfalls of what I see with a lot of breeders and kind of the culture of, you know, puppy raising and, and kind of where we're, we're, we're missing. So to like circle back to what you guys are saying and what, what you just tapped on as a vendor or as a financial institution, you're not going to hire a middle schooler or a baby, you know, like Ohio state's not offering a, a, a toddler, a full ride scholarship for football. It's not. So puppies are the same type of thing we're fortunate that they, they mature pretty quick. And at that 12 to 15 month range, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be. And you can, you know, purchase them based on that. Um, but the, the big thing that I, I see, we have plenty of people who are, are vendors, right? People that want to make money because they see dollar signs of, of the agencies that are going to buy them. So everyone wants to be a vendor. Everyone wants to do that, but no one wants to do the hard work for the puppy stuff. And the reason is just like what you said, it's not, a a immediate cash grab um and the people that do do it is that are for the money are are the people that are selling to pet homes because it's a lot easier to get them into pet homes and pet homes i think like you said earlier you know a lawyer the dog that looks like a police dog but like doesn't bark and doesn't want to kill everyone that walks in that's the best type of you know pet to sell for breeding like hey it gives me this you know, coolness factor of having a, a dog that looks cool and powerful, but he isn't. And, you know, that, that's how most people breed is because the, the, like, let's say 90% of their buyers are going to be pet home people. Um, it's rare that people are going to be doing it because of the money is what you're saying. But for me, how I found success is again, I go back, I breed to what I want. 
I have several kennels at my house. I enjoy raising young dogs. I breed to what I want. I raise them how I want. I have a system and how I train them. Um, and it just so happens that people, you know, a lot of these people that I'm talking about too, that do this breeding or they want to be vendors and you guys have seen it. They're, 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 they're here today, gone tomorrow because they don't know what they're doing. A, and they're also, they're out to rip people off. You know, when I, Eric, I've known, I knew you for years. And when I finally called you about a dog that I had for sale, which was Enzo, like I knew if I ever had to call you, the dog was going to be a banger, you know? And, and it was, you know, so the next time I call you and I say, Hey, this dog is out of my breeding program, you know, this, 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 and, and it, and it's exactly what I say it is, you know, my word means more now than, than anything I post on social media, you know? Um, and, and for puppies with, with raising them, I do it because I love it. I found a, a successful way to do it that dogs end up well in, in sport homes and whether that's co-owning with my friend Bogdan or, you know, other people or even people that I sell dogs to like that I think are going to be pet dogs that turn out to be more than what they're able to handle. And I get them back. Um, there's a bunch of different ways that, that it's happened. Um, but a lot of times, like if I do get a dog back, like they're gone in a week just because of what I, I and, and we had that uh, situation happen once too, Eric, I, I told you, I said, Hey, there's a guy testing the dog. I mean, the dog didn't even make it halfway through the test. They're like, yep, I want to buy it. You know? And, yeah. I slept on that one. I fucked that one up. So, I mean, it was, it was like, it was, it, I, I think I had the dog at my house for a week, you know, because I got him back <laughs> and a lot of them don't make it up to that point because I, I've, I've made a decent name in the sport world too, that, you know, breeding programs in the sport world are buying my pedigrees and, and, and dogs from my program because they, they want to incorporate it into their own. So, um, I do get dogs that end up in departments, but a lot of them are raised from other, other people. Um, or I get dogs that are returning me because they're too much for somebody and I already have dogs. So I, I, you know, I, I ship them off to, to people like yourself. So, um, I think the culture is the big thing in, in sport that I see a big number one, people are breeding for pet homes and they're using the money to, to, there's no money to be made in dog sport. So there's other avenues to do it, whether it's your stud dog does breedings or you sell puppies out of your stud dog and people need that money to travel. It's not a cheap sport to do. So they, they use their breeding programs, not necessarily to better the breed, even though they say they do or, or whatever they do it to purchase their next stud dog that they import. And then again, they just take a, a, a normal female and they breed to it and they wonder why they never get any results. But again, they're okay with that because the majority of them are selling to pet homes. And this is one thing I'll tell you for anyone that wants to learn how to do breeding find a mentor like I was talking about earlier or, or find somebody that has success doing it and, and kind of mimic their, their philosophies. Because at the end of the day, like I don't care if you are a world level handler, if you are consistently importing dogs to show, but you also have a breeding program, you've had that breeding program for 10 years and your females aren't out of your breeding program, your stud dogs not out of your breeding program. Eric, you live on, on a lake, a, a pretty lake spot. Ted, I don't know what you're, your house situation is, but I know he's right there on the lake. Listen, if you, your side business wasn't dogs and you did landscaping and you hired another landscaper to take care of your lawn, like, what does that, what does that say? You know? So find somebody that's breeding and raising and doing it and, and doing it at a successful level for the people you want to mimic. So 
you know, and, and a lot of these people are just snake oil salesmen that are, are, are trying to get uh, a, a quick buck. And they say, you know, I they attach their name to one dog from Europe or whatever. And, and, you know, there's no videos, there's no proof. Like we live in 2021 where, you know, everything's videoed. Like, you know, you can, you can find proof of, of what type of quality and, and you know, uh, uh, goods this person has. So it's not an easy thing to do. I, I'm not going to sit here and say it is. I just love it. You know, I love, I love the breeding. So one other, uh, oh, hold on. one other aspect uh, that I think, because we hear it all the time, and um, one of Eric and I's other buddies, um, Dave Smeets, um, he's from Holland, and he's like, you know, he, we've talked to him, I've talked to him about breeding stuff before, and we were in Vegas one time, and he was like, can you drive me to LA? I'm like, do what? He's like, LA, it's only like that far on the map. I'm like, motherfucker, that is five hours. <laughs> the wrong way that's a 10 hour round trip dude he's like but it's not that far on the map and i'm like i don't know if you know this or not but the united states is fucking big like real big right so eric and i have a friend that lives in connecticut uh uh david rivera um that we've both on talks from and it's fucking far connecticut is not close to anything except like rhode island and so i mean it's far like real fucking far so you know driving from New York city to Austin, Texas is like driving from fucking Paris to like Warsaw, Poland. And most people like, I, I mean, I get that, you know, Europe is big, but it's not like big, like the United States is big. And there's a huge problem with that And shipping dogs. Believe me. Cause I just paid Larry, the transporter to ship three dogs to me. It's fucking expensive. And you know, it's not cheap. So yeah, I mean, and it seems like every dog person in the world in the United States lives in fucking Florida. And, you know, shipping dogs from Florida other into anywhere other than Georgia are like is expensive. And so like I get it, but that's a lot of the reason why too. I mean, shipping a dog from I think it's cheaper to probably ship a dog in from Europe than it is to ship a dog from Florida to California. I mean yeah. We yeah, have yeah. fucking expensive going back to farming. We have, I don't know what it's like where you guys are at, but like where I'm from in, in the rural part of Ohio, we have like a, a pig farmer, a large pig farmer who's like the consumer, which would be like your department. The middleman is mostly the vendors and like the pig people. There's three different stages of like growing an animal. And in the United States, we lack the, 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 uh, the grass roots, like the, the, the root system. Because we have the consumers of the departments, we have the vendors and the people that, and, and good trainers and good handlers, but we lack that bottom tier of excellent breeders or, or puppy raisers and things just because it's not an easy thing to do. And they found a more efficient way by importing, you know, just like what you guys are talking about. It's less time. You'd rather spend 3000 extra dollars, you know, or whatever it would be because of the time, you know, time is money. Or yeah. so you're you're 100 right and we don't me included don't have the patience um so I, I we've asked this from some other folks and <clears throat> again because i'm telling you i'm i'm just not savvy with the puppies is and i'm fascinated by people that say that they and they they might be right i don't know is that they can tell uh when they think they're gonna ship the dog off to a pet home or try to raise it up at like 12 weeks or 14 weeks and to me, that just sounds like so young. And, and when, so when you're in puppies, like right away, when you start, you know, just messing with them, 
how long before you're like, yeah, th- this is exactly what I like. And this one, you know, he'll, he'll do good over here. Right. It's like, uh, like for cops speak, it's totality of the circumstances, right? You get, you see a dog, um, and you see it, it never stops. It's always going, it's always crashing into things. It always has something in his mouth. It, it's dominant over its litter mates. That's not the one I'm sending to a pet home, you know? So if there's a litter of eight, there's always like kind of like your, your top couple that are like your superstars. There's kind of like your middle of the pack. And then there's your kind of like lazier um, bottom two. And, you know, when you're a good breeder, they're all relatively similar. They call them typey, like they're litters. And, and kind of to, to take it even a next step, like when you start line breeding or inbreeding, which, you know, most people, their heads explode when you say that. When you start line breeding on a particular line, you have even more consistency in, in, in your litters and, and things like that. So, so sometimes it's pulling straws. Sometimes it's, yeah, this one's going to be better in a pet home or yeah, this one's it. Like this is the dog that is special. But a lot of my dogs, like I've had, like, like my, my stud dog now, he was sold as a pet. He's line bred on a dog who was also sold as a pet. Both of them were returned because they were way too much dog for, for like, for most people, you know, and still to this day, like, I mean, he, he's just, he's a maniac, but he didn't show that when, when he was young. So I got to take that into consideration when I breed him, like I might send a dog that's going to go be Cujo at somebody's house, you know? And I, I, I'm very upfront and honest. I say, Hey, if this dog gets to be too much, I explain to people, you know, I'll take him back, so on and so forth. But I do, I do testing. Um, I, I take some of it with a, a, a grain of salt, but I do, I do like rag work. Um, I'll test, I, I just watch them all eat. I'll, I'll put a food bowl out. How intense are they going to bite their food? Like, is it, you know, are they gobbling it? Are they stacked up against their, you know, just the intensity of a dog kind of going back to that it factor. There, there's a dog that sticks out out of seven or eight. There's one you always draw back to. And then, like I said, you get closer. Um, to the end, you kind of have a good idea. But again, you know, if you're good, like you have decently typey litters, it's kind of hard to tell because you have just like kids, like everyone knows that kid in middle school who was dunking a volleyball in eighth grade and, you know, just, you know, had 8,000 yards rushing and had, you know, and, and he never grows past five foot six or five foot seven. But at that time, he's the tallest kid in sixth grade, you mm-hmm. know? So, and then, and then the classmate, yeah, then the classmates, you know, the, the one who ends up going to, you know, a big time school because he grows to be six foot five. So. And Duncan in eighth grade, that guy, that's not me. <laughs> so, uh, well, I got one more question before we'll get into your business stuff. Um, and this is again, some naivety on my part. Have you ever noticed any kind of difference or preference on your part of success or not ver- on direct tie-in or versus, uh, frozen insemination? Um, is there any difference whatsoever from a quality standpoint or correct? Well, it's funny. I've, I've used, uh, I've collected my own dog and I haven't had to use it. I just have him in case, you know, he were to pass or, you know, or for the future, if I want to bring him back in and I just imported some from, from out, uh, uh, in the Czech Republic. Um, and I have, I have another, another, uh, straw from Austria. I haven't used any yet. I, I, I've used mostly dogs from the United States and um, I haven't, I haven't had to do the frozen. I, I, I know when I talk to, are you familiar with uh, Dr. Hutchinson up, up North where you're from like Cleveland area? Uh, no. 
Well, he's probably one of the best in, in the country from, you know, what I've been told for, for, you know, AI. Um, but I'll tell you like for cattle, I mean, it's, uh, we do it all the time for cattle and it's, it's easy. I mean, it's an easy thing. It's, it's, it's really not that different, you know, um, from a success standpoint, especially with taking the, the dogs to the vet, there's a, a test where you can see if they're, you know, at their peak ovulation. And then that's when you would, you know, do the breeding for, for the, the, the AI and, and I've had success on AIs, but I've never needed to use frozen yet. So. Yeah, I didn't know, you know, and the funny thing is, cause we, uh, that dog Russo that I own, we talked about collecting him and, and, you know, storing it and keeping it. It's uh, I thought it'd be more uh, easily done than it is. And it's um, like where uh, Hannah, the, the um, handler that has him Russo, like, there's nothing in Tennessee. She has to go quite far away. And it's, I don't know. I, I would have thought that it was a lot more simple. People are like, no, no, it's, there's more involved in it. And you have well, to, have the to, tanks, to there's a lot of liabilities with tanks. Uh, so if a tank loses its freeze and every show dog person in the country hmm. says, that was the greatest thing in the world. I'm going to sue you for this much, you know, money. Then, you know, it, it, I think it's a lot of liability and it is a specialized thing that the vet does, but I mean, if you're in your area, that guy, it wouldn't be too hard for you to get to it. And he could ship out from there. And that, I mean, all I'm, you know, from central Ohio, you know, and going up there, that's where I'm going to go to get my frozen stuff. And that's where I store my stuff too. So we have a, it's not uh, easy. I mean, with my day job getting up there, you hmm. know, it's not we easy. We have a guy locally here um, that's a, that he specializes. We have two really good um, agricultural colleges here. And uh, they're not in Tulsa, but they're in Oklahoma. And one of these guys is in Tulsa. One of the, I think he's a professor. One of them. But anyway, he is a like a veterinarian genetist, some fucking thing. He, but that's his deal. And Oklahoma obviously has a lot of cattle, a lot of horses, and that's his thing. So, and you know, the horses and cows, as you know, are much more complicated than dogs. And so when he's like, oh yeah, if you ask him about dogs, he's like, yeah, that's no problem. That's super easy. Just bring them in. Well, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck goes on, but you know, they're like, oh, the, and you know, they have all the tests that they run on the semen and this, that, and the other. And they're like, oh, it's great. It's this, it has this much virility and blah, 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 blah. And it's this much mobility. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they're like, no, it's really good. I'm like, don't tell so, me passes the taste test. I don't want to fucking Yeah. <laughs> They're like, here, here's a spoon. It's not like Baskin Robbins. You don't need to taste it all fucking gross. No, you don't do that. So no, but I mean, that's it for that's having people ask me that. Um, I think in other parts of the country, that's probably not very common. Um, being in like as Ohio, obviously agricultural, so is Oklahoma. Um, Texas, I would imagine, is as well. Um, Kent Kendall, one of our buddies down um, she's a genetic goober and you know she knows a lot of those people too but that that's what i would do if you have a dog that you think or that should be i don't know frozen or should you know should you need that and down the line that's what i would do go find go talk to fucking horse people or cow people they'll tell you where to go but like your normal vet that handles like small animals they're not gonna fucking know most of the time they won't anyway my my local guy does not handles all her working dogs he's great dealing with shitheads but he didn't even know like i asked him several years ago he was like, fuck, I don't even know, dude. Like, I don't even know who to talk to. He was like, call call OSU and ask him. And I did. And they're like, oh, yeah, you need to call Dr. Grogan. I'm like, oh, perfect. Okay. So that's who we call. So, yeah, go so go talk to horse people or call your college. 
Nice, nice. So uh, let's talk about, is it Rylan, right? R-I-L-Y-N? Yes, yep. Um, it goes by my grandma's name that I was telling you earlier. Her name was Marilyn. That was her kennel name, so. Cool. So what does that look like? What, um, you know, people are like, oh, I go to so-and-so. Dude, you got to buy, you got to put, you got to buy his puppies two years in advance and all that other stuff. What What is contacting you? We're going to go over like how to contact you, but what does it look like? Uh, I, I'm on Instagram, uh, Rylan K9. Um, also on Facebook under Rylan K9. Um, I uh, also I, I, I do videos on there. I'm you know pretty active on my Instagram account, as active as I can be. That allows you know my job because we have you know pretty strict you know guidelines of what we can and can't do. Um, and that's was actually one of the conversations we had earlier. So you can contact me there um, for for um, for puppies and, and, you know, upcoming breedings. Uh, I have, you know, stud dogs to, to approve females that I can, you know, take care of people on. Um, and I just love dog stuff. So if you have any questions or, you know, uh, I'm not in this for the money. I do this because I love it. So if there's people that I can help you get in contact with, I'd love to help that too. So that's, that's, uh, how you can get a hold of me there. People that are local to you down in the, uh, basically the Columbus, Ohio area um that are interested in doing uh ipo stuff if you go watch on rylan canine r-i-l-y-n you'll see it's not just him decoying there's a lot of obedience stuff you put on there um kind are you are you still pretty active in that and helping people kind of get ready for trial building up is it just your dogs do you bring dogs in from outside how does it work yeah i i still help people with trial um the, the one I'm with all the time is Bogdan with, with Chase, the dog I was talking about earlier. Um, I travel a lot. I do a lot of decoy work. Uh, I've, I've, I've done trial helper work too. I've been, you know, I've been, I'm a certified uh, um, trial helper for, for Schutzen IPO. Um, again, that's not why I got into IPO, but I, I can do it. And I, I, you know, I've done it for trials here um, even recently. Um, I help people get ready for big trials. And again, I don't put a lot of this stuff on Facebook because it's not like I'm trying to push a business or anything for myself. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very active. And it's funny because a lot of the, the top name people, they do and, and they ask not to be shared on video or this or that. So, you know, I can respect everyone's, you know, wishes. And, and you know, I do a lot of things under the shadows, you know, decoy work or, or helping people out um, when I can. But again, it's not... It's not anything uh, other than love at this point for, for what I do. I mean, I just, I really enjoy the German Shepherd and I enjoy working dogs and, and especially cops. And that's where I, I got, I reached out to you a while back and, you know, I really want to start giving back to the law enforcement community because I've learned a lot from, you know, civilians like Ted or, or, you know, people that know more than me that I can now give that information back. And, and, you know, and I have a, a platform and an outlet to do that being a cop and, and having connections to other law enforcement uh, handlers. Cause I mean, it's a, it's, it's needed. hundred percent. Absolutely. Ted, you got anything? Uh, none off the top of my head. I think that's uh yeah, no um i was gonna say like where can we find you but you took care of that so and <laughs> we got to everything else so i do got one more that i just oh, thought of was so you your dad buys you the female for grad you know back in the day right that's what you're gonna do would you breed that dog now now you know what you know 
I didn't breed her. No, she ended up not passing uh, orthopedics. Uh, and uh, going back to that, um, going back to uh, uh, the nerve stuff, it was, I remember she had great drive and did a, really, a lot of the things that I liked, but I was like, man, why, why are these dogs doing something different? Like, why is she worried about that or whatever? Even on a grip, like her eyes would dart to the left or to the right, you know, on something that shouldn't have been there, you know, and she never got over it. Um, and I love the dog. I, I, I retired her to my, um, and she was young. I retired her to my cousins and, cause she was no longer the dog that, you know, I wanted and to, uh, I could have sold her and, you know, made money. She could have been a police dog, could have did this or did that because her, her joints were, weren't bad enough to where she couldn't work. It's just, she wasn't good enough for breeding from that. But also I wasn't going to continue down that road because it wasn't something I wanted. So, uh, I, I pass on that and, the, the the next female that I bought was a repeat from the 2017 world championship IGP. So <laughs> you're just talking about repeat breedings. I got, I have two females right now at my kennel that are repeats from the world champion in, in 2017. So I went big, you know, I got the, the best females that I possibly could. So. Nice. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't breed her compared to them. <laughs> so uh, we already talked about where you're, where you're at with uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, Eric, where are you? Um, uh, Van S Canine on Instagram. Uh, pretty soon. So right now I'm Van S Canine Academy on Facebook. That's all pet stuff. And consolidating all of that Facebook and um, Instagram to uh, police dogs pretty soon, probably sometime in April. And then the other business I own, which is Ridside Canine Ohio, that is on Facebook. And it will end up being all pet stuff. I had to separate everything starting a new building and everything like that. So I had to kind of separate all that stuff. Uh, of course, working dog radio on all platforms, working dog radio.com and uh, working dog radio on, on Patreon. How about you? Uh, Ted underscore summers on the Facebook or well, no, I'm sorry on Instagram. And then uh, torchlight canine letter K number nine on Instagram and on Facebook um, is where we put all that stuff up daily. Um and yeah of course the podcast we just gave away a shit ton of doctor stuff it's all sitting in my living room right now i've got two huge boxes like three thousand dollars worth of shit out there that we just gave away uh to our patreon members and to instagram and facebook people so um we do that i don't know what like a couple times a year i think um mm -hmm. yeah i just got off the phone with arno right before we started recording or right before i cooked dinner for right before we started recording but uh so we may be doing something down the line with that too again so yeah um hrd next hrd is in april so i'm looking forward to that um you just got confirmation for um blue line right yeah yeah we didn't get we didn't as get of now it's still a go so we didn't get coveted so um yeah blue line in st louis this year uh we're going to be instructing the second two days i think so yeah there'll be that but yeah um jake this has been a great episode man um i Super appreciate it. When we talked about this episode, I was like, we haven't done the puppy thing and we haven't done the breeding thing, like, you know, from end to end. We've done like bits and chunks of it. So this was a good, I think it filled in a bunch of gaps. And yeah, I super appreciate it, man. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. No problem right. at all. Ryland Canine, go check them out, guys. Thanks. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Too
Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.